power in full catastrophe living and in coming to our senses. So let's begin at the beginning. What is mindfulness? My working definition of mindfulness is that it's paying attention on purpose in the present moment as if your life depended on it, non-judgmentally. Actually, mindfulness is what comes out of paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally and as if your life depended on it. And that is nothing else than awareness. Now, awareness is something that we're all intimately familiar with and yet complete strangers to. So the training in mindfulness that we'll be exploring together is really the cultivation of a resource that's already yours. It doesn't require going anywhere. It doesn't require getting anything. But it does require in some way learning how to inhabit another domain of mind that we are, as a rule, fairly out of touch with, even though, of course, if we didn't have it, we'd already be dead. Mindfulness is often spoken of as the heart of Buddhist meditation. But really, mindfulness is universal because it's about attention and awareness, as I've just said, and attention and awareness are capacities that are shared by all of us. Nevertheless, it is fair to say that the most refined and developed articulations of mindfulness throughout history and how to cultivate it come from the Buddhist tradition. But I think by the same token, it's important to keep in mind that the Buddha himself was not a Buddhist and even the term Buddhism wasn't established until the 18th century, and that term was coined by European religious scholars who had very little understanding of what the statues on the altars of temples were of some guy sitting cross-legged and what they were really about. What those statues and other Buddhist art objects are all about is actually the mind and states of mind. And the Buddha represents a state of mind that can simply be called, and he did speak about it in this way, awake. So the Buddha had some profound insights into the nature of the human mind that apply to any human mind, not just Buddhists or people practicing Buddhist meditation for that matter. Otherwise, really, it would be of no value. I like to think of the Buddha as a, a scientist, a genius of a scientist, really, who had no instruments at his disposal other than his own body and his own mind, and he used them to great advantage to explore the deep questions that he was interested in, like what is the nature of the mind and what is the nature of suffering? And of course, as with any instrument, whether it's a radio telescope or a spectrophotometer or a scale, you have to actually calibrate it first and stabilize the platform on which it sits so that you can get reliable readings. And part of the meditation practice that the Buddha came up with was to actually stabilize and calibrate the mind so that it could do the deep work of penetration. Obviously, if you were trying to look at the moon and you put your telescope on, say, a waterbed and then tried to, you know, find the moon, every time you shifted your posture, even the tiniest little bit, you'd lose the moon in the telescope. So it's the same with the mind. If the mind is going to investigate itself, first you have to learn at least the rudiments of stabilizing the mind enough so that it can actually do the work of paying attention and being aware of what's actually going on 
beneath the surface of our own mind's activities, which often are what thwart us or distract us or carry us away someplace else, as you'll soon see. So for all these reasons, mindfulness is really universal and doesn't have anything to do with Buddhism in the sense of you have to be a Buddhist in order to practice mindfulness, or for that matter, even that you have to practice meditation in order to cultivate mindfulness. But if you understand meditation in the deepest of ways, then you can't possibly not practice meditation when you're cultivating mindfulness because they are no less than the same thing. It's this deep dimension of awareness that is ours already, but that we just are so unfamiliar with that we can't put it to use at the times in our lives that we need it the most. For close to 30 years now, my colleagues and I at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center's Stress Reduction Clinic have been using mindfulness within mainstream medicine as a profound resource for people facing stress, pain, and illness, and disease who find that they don't receive full satisfaction from their health care and medical care, who, you could say, fall through the cracks of the health care system, and actually a lot of people fall through the cracks of the health care system and don't get full satisfaction. So the idea of the stress reduction clinic is to challenge people to see if there's not something that they can do for themselves as a complement to whatever their doctors and surgeons and the healthcare system as a whole can do for them to move towards greater levels of health and well-being. And when I say health and well-being, I mean on the deepest and broadest of levels so that ultimately has to do not just with the health of the body or with getting people back to some kind of socially acceptable normal state, but what the true extent of being human actually is and coming to know the mind intimately and to be able to use it in ways that actually cultivate the wisdom and deep qualities of compassion and goodness that lie within us. This work, which has spread to clinics and medical centers and hospitals around the world in the past 10-plus years, is known as Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, or MBSR. Some of the methods we'll be practicing in the second session are the same as those we use with our patients in the hospital when they take the MBSR program in the stress reduction clinic. But again, that doesn't mean that they're just for people who are experiencing disease or chronic pain, these practices are universal and really are applicable for anybody who is alive. We do not have actually a great track record with the dead, but as long as you're breathing from our perspective, there's more right with you than wrong with you, no matter what's wrong with you. And so the present moment becomes a really wonderful place to start on this, what I like to call adventure of a lifetime. So as I've been suggesting, when all is said and done, meditation is really about awareness, its qualities and stability, and its reliability. It's about bare attention, discernment, clear seeing, and thus wisdom, where wisdom means knowing the actuality of things rather than being caught in your own misperceptions, misapprehensions. And those, for all of us, are really legion because it's so easy to be caught up in our own belief systems, ideas, and opinions, and prejudices that kind of form a veil or a cloud that prevent us from actually seeing what's right in front of our faces very often. 
And of course, many times we leave it to our family members to actually tell us those kinds of things and then we don't believe it anyway. So as I said, it's about bare attention, discernment, clear seeing and wisdom. And at the same time, it's also about an affectionate quality in the attention, an openness, a kindness, an attention that is actually caring. And that is actually a manifestation, I would say, of our heart's intrinsic compassion. Not something, again, that we have to get, something that we might realize that we already, I won't even say have, that we already are. When I talk about clear seeing, that makes it sound like it's limited to one sense. But seeing in this case represents all the senses, since it's only through our senses that we can be aware of and therefore know anything at all. But from the meditative perspective, especially in Buddhism, but also in science, there's a deep realization that there are actually more than five senses. And Buddhism includes mind as a sixth sense. And by mind, they don't mean thinking. They don't mean just the thinking mind. They mean the mind that is closer to awareness itself, that capacity of mind that knows non-conceptually, that knows where you are right now. You don't have to think about where you are right now. Most of the time you just know where you are and you know what's come before and you know what's going to happen. You have a sense of orientation in time. You have a sense of...